how to revive evangelism is kind of the anthology of what I've been learning about evangelism that works in a post-Christian context. And it was born out of a separate research project that Alpha did with Barna to just say what's working, what's not, what are Christians think is effective evangelism, and then what do actual non-Christians in different age groups think could help them grow in faith, and where are blind spots? And the Barner research is always really analytical and not too prescriptive with application. And I just felt like on the back end of that, we need to talk about the application side of this and the practical. So that was the birth of how to revive evangelism. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered. I'm producing this podcast in December and reflecting over the past year. There is so much to be thankful for and so much to look forward to in 2022. In fact, in January, I'll be hosting an online event aimed specifically at associate priests. If you have an associate priest at your parish or you've been recently ordained with a whole class of associate priests, you're going to want to go to ronhuntley.com and connect with us because we'll send you the specific details. Let's face it, no one talks about how to be an associate, and there are specific situations and opportunities that are unique to this season. And we want to ensure that you survive and intentionally make the most of this time. So sign up under Connect today, so you won't want to miss it. If making new disciples is important to you, you're going to love this conversation today. It's the second of two conversations with author, pastor, and speaker, Craig Springer. Enjoy. Lift off and the clock has started. The pandemic hasn't been all bad. There have been some great things come out of it, not the least of which is Craig Springer writing not one, but two books during COVID. And he is our guest again today. Welcome to the show, Craig. I am so glad to be with you again, Ron. Love spending time with you. Love seeing you on Zoom and in person. So... (laughs) Thank you. I'm looking forward to, we were just talking before we hit record, how's the how's the possible conference coming? And I know the conferences you guys do every year in the U.S. are, are to me, the first one I went to is just so cool. I can't wait to continue to go to them to be inspired and, and revived. It's yeah, we'd so love to have any so listeners hoping. come. It's in Phoenix, which is warmer than anywhere north. And our passion, we're always <laughs> pressing into what does evangelism look like? effective evangelism in a post-Christian context. We're always pressing into unity wherever there's been division. And then finally around renewal in the spirit. And so those are our three Mm. passions. Those we feel like we're called to be pioneers in, um, particularly the U.S. and and Canada, North America, beyond. And so if you want kind of an injection around that, join us. 
is sometimes people think, well, it's just all going to be about Alpha, and I already know about Alpha, but it's, oh, no, it, it is actually about evangelization. And, yeah, and- we keep all the kind of Alpha training stuff in the workshop yeah. breakouts. We're just trying to light a fire in the conferences around those three things I talked about. Absolutely. And I always learn more about Alpha and how to use it well, but through the networking you get to do while you're there. And that's that's gold as well, isn't it? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. But last podcast, we talked about your first book. Now I want to talk about your second book, How to Revive Evangelism. But before we get into that too much, how did one book turn into two books? Or was it always two books? Give me some insight into that. I think that writing a book has to be a burden that the Lord has put on our hearts. and. Of course, there's nothing new under the sun, but both of these books were answering questions and problems that I was having and seeing and not able to find a resource for. And so this becomes kind of the finger of the Lord saying, yeah, that's your assignment. With How to Follow Jesus, I was never able to find that single volume resource, very practical, sharing the basics of the faith for someone brand new to faith who didn't have any kind of religious background. And How to Revive Evangelism is kind of the anthology of what I've been learning about evangelism that works in a post-Christian context. And it was born out of a separate research project that Alfred did with Barna to just say, what's working, what's not, what are Christians think is effective evangelism, and then what do actual non-Christians in different age groups think could help them grow in faith, and where are blind spots? The Barner research is always really analytical and not too prescriptive with application. And I just felt like on the back end of that, we need to talk about the application side of this and the practical. So that was the birth of how to revive evangelism. Love that. And I love too how you were, and I don't want this, what you just said as a throwaway line to get lost on anyone else who's listening is that, it was your own hunt for answers to these questions that you couldn't find. And, and out of that, you discern God saying to you, Hey, Craig, that's your assignment. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you listeners out there, if you're searching for something and you can't find it, maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder, <laughs> asking you. Oh, to get that's involved. so good. It's not true. I just feel like sharing one quick thing. My uh, friend in the Czech Republic, Chechia now is the name of the country's name is Sasha Fleck. Dear friend, we did a three-year church plant. In 1989, he was a, a young pastor at the turn of the Velvet Revolution, fall of the Iron Curtain, communism. And he's kept saying, Lord, why do you give the Germans a Bible? Why, why do you give the English a Bible? And you haven't given the Czech people a Bible. They, the, they had Jan Hus's translation, which was pre-Martin Luther, and which was much more difficult even than our kind of old English versions in terms of the evolution of the language. And then they had a, a version of the communists that edited out the miracles and the power of the blood of Jesus and anything, any reference to faith. And, and then he gets this sort of finger of the Lord on his chest. Yeah, because I want you to translate the Bible. And so 13 years later, he released the, at that time, only modern Czech transition of scripture and people are coming to faith because of it. So yes. Wow. So if there's a way to go. praying for it. Yeah, often where God says yes, because you're the answer. You're my hands and feet. 
<laughs> and don't we always want somebody else to do it? Wow, that is a great story. What a great testimony to that very principle of being attentive to what God is placing on your heart. That is so cool. Well, you talk about something that's interesting because, you know, I remember studying psychology in university. We would often look at the science and it drove me crazy how they wouldn't talk about the applications because I'm more concerned about the applications. I don't know. Maybe there's a there's a good reason for that. But I love when science gets applied in a way that we can understand. And that's what I picked up, too, as I started to read this book, is you're taking a look at these statistics and, and you're leaning into them. Why don't you maybe share with us a few of the statistics that jumped out at you and made you go, wait a minute. Yeah. The big, and it was kind of a headline grabber for a few months in the Christian publishing space, 47% of millennial Christians reported in our study that evangelism is wrong. And that was up dramatically from Xers, boomers, and elders, the, the prior generations. And so they're not saying it's difficult. They're not saying it's undesirable. They're saying, no, it's wrong to try to convince someone else to follow Jesus. And you think, wait a minute, the Great Commission, go, make disciples, you know, share, always be prepared in a season to, you know, provide a word, preach. And, and how will they know unless someone tells them? And it's so it's a little heartbreaking. We might want to be kind of, wow, millennials, you know, kind of millennial <laughs> shaming. I'm not a millennial, but um, before we do and just say, hey, they won all the participation trophies and are sitting at home eating, eating avocado toast trying to get their best life now without earning it, uh, we can just ask question, well, what have we done to create that framework that evangelism is wrong? And I'm not blaming millennials. I was just kind of riffing on yeah, the stereotypes. Gen, Gen Xers can do that sometimes. And what you just yeah. said are the things I hear time and time again. And, and God <laughs> forgive me if they've ever come out of my mouth. And so if you're not saying that, Craig, what are, what, how, you are, how are you interpreting that data? Yeah, I actually think the millennials had the key. That was sort of the, the supposition of this text. And, you know, we did do the research a couple of years ago. So we were able now to even do the Gen Z data. I haven't written an applied book on that, but it's just more compounded from what we're seeing in millennials. Well, we found that 94% of those same millennial Christians who said evangelism is wrong are saying the best thing can happen to their friends is that they would know Jesus. So they're saying, <laughs> you know, it's not the message, it's the method. Because mm. let's go a little bit deeper in the data on millennials. They're reporting um, more friendships outside of the church, millennial Christians, than any prior generation. They're more connected. They're more engaged. They're not living in a Christian bubble. They report more equipped, this was interesting, at sharing their faith than Xers, boomers, and elders. So they're saying, I know how to do it. And I'm in the circles of people. And then general millennials, not just Christians, but all, all millennials reported having more willingness to engage in spiritual conversation than Xers, boomers, and elders. So the whole concept of people aren't interested anymore, they're hungry. That is, that is not accurate. The data shows otherwise, and even Gen Z is much higher. People are hungry to talk about spiritual things. They're hungry for faith. They have needs in their life. And the younger generations are saying, stop giving me the cassette 
tape methodology of evangelism. My friends are listening to Spotify playlist. Please, can we adjust how we share like St. Paul standing in the Athenian Areopagus saying, oh, look, there's a statue in your culture that you understand that says to the unknown God. Let's talk about that. Let's adjust how we share for the benefit of those who listen, as scripture says, so that they will come to Jesus. And millennial Christians are just saying, show me a way that works with my friends, that doesn't push them away, that doesn't pull increasingly polarize, and I'll engage in that. Oh, man, that's so true. And, you know, I, I joked years ago, you know, I'm not a great teacher. Uh, my son's a great teacher. My uncle's a great teacher. I know lots of great teachers. I'm not a particularly gifted teacher. And I always joke that uh, if you don't get it the first time, then I just say it louder. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> I, we do need some creativity that doesn't, that's, you know, I know it doesn't necessarily come from me, but I recognize it when I see it. But we do have to take a step back because if you can tell a tree by its fruit, what's the fruit of what you're doing now in terms of transformed lives. And, and mm-hmm. I often say that into churches like, okay, well, you, you think you're doing well, that's cool. Like, but, but what, how, how are you counting transformed lives? Because that to me is the ultimate fruit of, of our faith in Jesus. And, and so good, Ron. Right. And, and so I love that, that this data, you look at it like that because the other piece too, is like when we're blaming each other, that's not particularly helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've always said, I remember when I got hired as the director of evangelization at St. Benedict Parish, like, I'm not even good at this. Like, I, <laughs> like if you look at my personal track record at, at meeting with people one-on-one and, and sharing the faith in a way that they go, best thing I've ever heard, Ron, I'm all in. Like that's a pretty poor track record. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I think too, so often alpha works well in the context of our Catholic churches, because I don't know that, I don't know many Catholics who feel themselves particularly equipped to be good at that. And so, so, one of the things that you talked about in the book that I found amazing is this whole re- realization or recognition of proclamation being our primary. Talk a little bit about that, because uh, I think it leads right into what you're saying. Yeah, you look at the strategies of our churches, and we are proclaimers, and as we should be. Again, Romans ten fourteen. how will they know unless we tell them? So we proclaim, however, it's become almost the singular evangelism strategy. We, as if you're a parish leader or priest, if you're a pastor, you're, you're hoping as many non-Christians will come to the gatherings and we preach, we share, we give a homily, we give a sermon and we're proclaiming the truth. However, it's a one directional interaction, loudspeakers into someone's ear, or we're posting online sermons or podcasts. The challenge is that it's not, there's nothing wrong with proclamation. It's proclamation alone that misses the opportunity because we look at how Jesus shared his faith. We look at how Jesus managed the skill of proclamation. It was somewhat different. He asked 307 questions when you study the four gospels. He was asked 183 questions. He only directly answers, try and think of the number in your brain, eight questions, directly answers. So he's almost 40 times more likely to create space for ongoing conversation than he is to wield the hammer of proclamation. That's the key, is proclamation alone misses the opportunity. Conversation, 40 times more listening 
than direct speaking opens up someone's heart, especially in the kind of in lost discourse moment we find ourselves in culture mm-hmm. today, where we can just throw kind of verbal opinion grenades at one another on social media and not like we need to love listens. That's actually the theme of our conference this coming up here. That's what we see in Jesus is conversation, not just proclamation. Actually, I've through some different friends input, I think you could almost create a sequence. Some people have heard of the concept of demonstration leads to proclamation. Demonstration of what? Demonstration of good works, demonstration of of God's power. I mean, we see in the scripture signs and wonders. And of course we see good works, feeding the poor, um, caring for the sick. But demonstration, I believe if you're trying to create an evangelism strategy in your church, demonstration, then it creates space for conversation. You have to think through where in my church do I have structured spaces for conversation? That's of course exactly what we do with Alpha as we create conversation circles around the faith or people that don't know Jesus demonstration to conversation then earns you the right for proclamation, which then ultimately leads to revelation, which is what we're after. We've got sort of this proclamation alone leads to revelation. Well, don't forget the demonstration and the conversation is the key point. I just gave you a whole sermon there. Oh, and I'm loving it too. I'm going to jump up and say amen and put on a good song. Like, this is great stuff. And honestly, like, even just hearing you lay it out like that makes so much sense. You may or may not be aware of this, but Pope Francis just called for a global synod. And and I've been learning a lot about synod. I had my uh, archbishop on the podcast, and he he's an amazing teacher. He just oh, really good. laid it out. But really, what is it? It's about listening. Mm-hmm. And people having spiritual conversations and spiritually listening to the Holy Spirit and to others. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but can we do this all the time? Like, like honestly, yeah. like that's at the heart of what I do in, in, in helping priests learn to lead differently is learn yeah. to lead out of a team. That's what alpha does. That's what small groups do. That's like, it's, 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 yeah, it's pretty old stuff. Isn't it's it? important to ask ourselves the question though, how do we do it? Well, because Often we think, yeah, 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 I listen to someone, you know, and then I correct them <laughs> and help them see more accurately. And the, the point about actually being a good listener is if the person who is speaking walks away feeling good about the interaction. Yeah. It's, it's when we, we lay down the desire to win the conversation and we change the goal. From I need to nail some truth from the outside into this person's, person's mind and heart to, wait, God's already at work in their life. I want to help them excavate the beauty in themselves of what God's doing and stirring up and sort of like, I want to help them see the threads of the mosaic God's already been weaving inside of them. And we listen out of true curiosity. We, we can disagree with someone's theology or perspective and not have that be the main point of the of the conversation. And I think for Christians who are trained in sort of old school evangelism, it's very, I mean, I was, how difficult yeah. it is actually to aff- find the things we can affirm in someone, the common ground. They may not believe in the substitution of atonement of Jesus Christ and tell you without abbreviating, I think it's BS. Right. But 
we can say, you know, I really appreciate how sincere you are in um, learning more about things. Like, I just really appreciate it about you. Or I love that you say you feel like there's a higher power when you see a sunset. I relate to that too. I also feel like there's a higher power when I see a sunset. It's like affirming what we can, not trying to win the argument. Now, is there time and space to say, hey, would you mind if I shared a couple of thoughts that might be different than yours? Yes. How, how often though? Jesus listened 40 times more than he spoke and gave a direct answer. So I think if we as Christians and as church leaders are part creating a church strategy where there's 40 times more listening and drawing out the questions and doubts of another than there are us preaching at, speaking at, trying to correct someone else, then we're on the right track. Because they pick that up awfully quick too, don't they? It's like, I'm going to ask oh, you a yeah. question, but I'm really not listening because boy, I got a whopper for you. Like, yeah. It just becomes so evident that you're really not listening. You're not yeah. listening to understand. You're listening to respond, which. And the flip side of that is a, a quote that I've been repeating for years from Professor David Augsburger, who says, being heard is so close to being loved that to the average person, they are indistinguishable. So the flip side is when we don't listen, people feel devalued or minimized. When we do, they feel loved. Hmm. And that is true in a marriage. <laughs> it's true in parenting. <laughs> and it's true in evangelism and evangelization. Amen. Amen. I was thinking of that when you were saying earlier that, you know, yes, I listen and then I correct. I was thinking, yeah, is that, 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 <laughs> that's usually what happens in a marriage. That doesn't go Oh, so man, well. especially parenting too. It's, sure. I've, I've got, uh, you know, tween and teenagers now. and. I regularly need to um, practice what I preach. So the whole demonstration, conversation, proclamation, revelation. I have a couple of things. One, it just reminds me of a story. We were doing an alpha and it's one of those alphas that, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you always have the highest hopes at the beginning of alpha. And then one of your tables goes down to like one or two guests and you still have to put in the whole right. Just so disappointing. And so I was, I found myself in that situation, which was fine. One of the people that were in the, uh, one of the guests that stayed had some gang activity when he was younger. He's in his, uh, he was about 60 at the time, gang activity when he was younger and really had a hardened shell and, and liked to be the protagonist. And uh, on the conversation about how and why should we read the Bible? Again, this is taking place in the context of a Catholic church. I'm a helper, not the facilitator. He says, he said, I don't know why you guys think Mary was a virgin anyway. It says right in scripture that she came to the door with Jesus's brothers. And so you can have it one way or the other. You can't say the Bible's true. <laughs> enough. And, the, and the woman that was facilitating the conversation, I could see she was ready to absolutely lose it. And I'm just on the yeah. other side of her, just giving her the symbol, like, ask a question, flip it over. That's very interesting. What do you think? And I knew yeah. that she, it was going to be so hard for her. Anyway, God bless her. She was able to pull it off despite her Good. instinct to, to, to correct. And to, and at the end of that alpha experience, he, when we asked him, Hey, you know what, how, what was your experience? Like he said, I kept waiting for you guys to throw me out. He was intentionally sticking it to mm. us at time, but he said, you didn't. And he went on to join the church and, and get confirmed as a, as an adult. And that's and, incredible. Isn't it beautiful? That's incredible. Yeah. He came, 
looking for a fight. And instead he was listened to and found love. To your point. That's amazing. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. You know, one of the, the uh, things that you talked about in the first chapter was the revelation you had with your son. Because, and I can relate to this too. A very interesting conversation with my son at one point while I was traveling. I was away doing some work. And we had a conversation that needed a follow-up conversation. And it was around faith. Is this stuff legit? Or And it's like, oh my gosh. Okay, well, let's talk about that when we get home. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if it's real, then 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 you'll probably want to know. And if it isn't, I'll probably want to know because I do this stuff for a living and I'll probably want to find another job. But either way, <laughs> our relationship and God can handle this truthful conversation. And, and there yeah. are different times when as, as parents, we, we have conversations with our kids that are really good conversations. And anyway, you just shared a little bit about yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I mean, my son grew up as pastor's kid and in the church. And I mean, we would read the Bible to him. He knew more than any adult in his Sunday school classes whenever that happened. And so he was filled with religious knowledge. And I mean, he knew how to pray. He, he I'm not saying, you know, he was a Pharisee in any ways, but mm-hmm. at some point, I don't remember the age. It may have been nine or 10. I just started getting a burden for him. Like it, because I also saw the difference in my daughter who really had a vibrant prayer life and relationship very clearly with Jesus. And I, I could see the difference where, I'm, but my son is also an intellectual person. I just started praying for him and, and growing a burden over the course of a year. Like why won't what's in his head go into his heart? And as a father, as a pastor, that's what I longed for. And one night at church, it was a intense worship prayer night intended to just lead us into travailing prayer. And I started focusing on prayer for my son and, and really kind of feeling the presence of God in a heavy kind of electrified way. And what I sensed from the Lord saying is what I see in him, my son, is what I see in you. This lukewarm, head living, not not necessarily heart, and when I've been a Christian for twenty years, professional, vocational, all the stuff, disciplined, you know, no like overt sin in my life, thinking, and but there was a missing ingredient of total passion and renewal within my own heart, and prayers were short and quick, and Bible reading every day, but I just acknowledged, yeah, there's a lukewarmness. And rather than sort of hoping for someone else, for someone else's faith, you know, we cry, Lord, we want revival for them, which is good. And now we're on this side of the pandemic and Lord, fill our parishes and our churches once again, you know, we want the many. And the Lord says, no, 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 I want you to want more, not the many, more of me more of me for you, more of me, more of my presence. And so that's the cry of the heart, the prayer. Lord, revive me. Don't necessarily start with, when we think about evangelism, Lord, revive my city. Lord, revive me to want more of you than ever before. Because that's the fire. You don't need an advertising plan for a fire. It's just warm and people want to be around it. And we can begin that cry, Lord, revive me, if we want revival in our city, which, of course, we do. 
but we need to be crying out and pressing in for more for ourselves, more prayer, intensive prayer, more of him, his presence lingering over and over and over again. So that was that journey that I talk about in the first chapter. Mm. Um, Cause again, just to clarify the starting point for evangelism that works in post-Christian context is not crying out Lord, hoping for many to show up. It's longing for more of him because it has to be genuine as well. I mean, people are attracted to genuine faith and we need to live into that. And the, the great reward is not a packed out church service. The great reward is the Lord himself. I, you know, when I think about coaching in this season of COVID, it's been exhausting for a lot of church leaders, Yeah, uh, you know, and, and again, that's why I've been saying, Hey, join me on this conference to the alpha conference, because you need to, you need an injection of hope and of passion, mm. of the Holy spirit. Like we just need to bask in that and encourage each other because it is a difficult time. But I love your candor in, you know, being a pastor and doing all the things and yet the Holy spirit convicting you that, yeah. Like, Hey, Craig, here's a mirror. Guess exactly. I want to, I want to love you. Let me love you. I'll take care of your son, but I I need to take, I want to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the flip side of that is then it actually did have an impact on my son. We were in, uh, you know, long story short, he just had an encounter with the Lord and, and then asked to be baptized on the back end of it. He hadn't been baptized yet. And, um, it was powerful, powerful experience. And then that led to him reaching out, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's the beauty of it. And, and isn't that, yeah, gosh, that's just such a beautiful story. I was, my son has, uh, always, you know, very involved in the faith and we did alpha together during COVID and, and invited him to invite some friends and he's a high-end hockey player. And so he reached out to some of his other hockey buddies and he had a whole table of 21, 20, 21 year old guys. That's so wonderful. Isn't that great? All athletes playing all over the country, hockey at the top levels. And, uh, now they're at university playing hockey and, uh, they all had a powerful experience of faith and coming to mm. faith for the very first time. And I was always mesmerized as he would unpack it with me because we do it at the house because I had better internet than his apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'd always unpack it a little bit afterwards. And I was just always impressed by his ability to do the exact thing that you talk about in this book, to Love ask it. great questions without judging and really being curious. And that I really, love it. Oh, yeah. it's so exciting. Nothing excites me more than seeing students get activated in this because it's exactly what we're talking about. It's not just how we're going to reach people. It's how we're going to mobilize. Uh, well, yeah, at 21, he, he'd be Gen Z. So he, it's how we mobilize. We have to model a method that our sons and daughters will embrace to reach their friends for Jesus. And this is what it looks like. And thankfully, Jesus modeled it. So we can just apply his method. So what's your hope for this book in the hands of pastors and, and church faithful that they get a hold of this book? What's your hope? Well, I do mention seven ships, and I think we've, we've pretty much only hit two. Yeah, let's, let's The demonstration yeah. one is built out a little more on the, what I call, we, we need to be fruitful, not just factual. And I think I'll spend a minute talking about that, please, is that yeah, we please. spend so long 
in preparing sermons and in church strategies and in personal sharing of trying to prove the facts of the doctrine of our faith, forgetting that the world is saying, I'm not actually asking whether or not your faith is true. I'm asking if it's good. Because people are looking to Christianity these days in, in any denominational expression and thinking it's part of the extremist problem. It's part of judgmentalism. It's part of hypocrisy. It's part of um, unloving culture-shaping influence. It's part of the nationalism. It's it, on and on and on. And for good reason, right? There's been a lot of very high visible fallout and immorality and hurt caused by people in the name of Jesus. And frankly, people again are asking, is it good? Mm. Is it good to follow your Christ? Is it, does it do good? And so our reputation is not on the line. Our reputation is completely at stake right now. And we need to more than ever. And it's just applying the words of Jesus again, show the fruit of our faith in mm-hmm. relationship with people that looks like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we ask ourselves, what does it look like to apply fruitful, not just factual when we're interacting with people on social media? It means that we're not going to fight to, to win the facts, you know, all the time. We're going to ensure that we're leading with the fruit of the spirit. What is it again? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, it's like, gosh, we, we have so much opportunity to simply show the goodness of when Christ is in the center. And then, of course, in the world, it means when there's poor, we're the first ones there. When there's those in need, when there's those hurting, those broken, those lonely, those isolated, we're the ones, the church of Jesus. And so important. So I'm hoping that um, we can increasingly show the fruit of our faith. I'm hoping that we can increasingly create spaces for listening. And that certainly I, I'm very un, or very biased and unashamed to be biased throughout the book that Alpha is a fantastic opportunity for you to scale up all of these things in your parish, your congregation. And I hope you consider it. Alpha.org um, or alphausa.org can get it all. But I think my greatest hope is that we just reflect the way of Jesus and also be attuned to the needs of the community around us at this point in time. That's how we share our faith. That is so good. The whole idea of listening um, in ways that that's what Alpha did. I, I, I find that's what Alpha and again, there, there are other programs people use, and that's great. We're not here to promote Alpha, but it helps the whole church learn to listen to people who aren't church people in a way that makes us more sensitive. It changes the preaching. It changes how we experience hospitality. It changes how we experience when we go to a family reunion. We connect with our friends that we haven't seen in a long time. It changes everything. It helps us to listen without judgment. That's what it's done to me. And, and I see it do it to an entire parishes. I'm thinking everybody wins when that happens. Like everybody wins when that happens. Yeah. Amen. 
And people are rightly potentially thinking right now, yeah, but when do you tell people Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected at the right hand of the Father, offering us as a substitute that we can be forgiven and saved, you know, for eternity? And the answer is you do share that. And, and if you're wondering about Alpha, we do share the details of the gospel and of the faith, and even some apologetics along the way. Um, and the, you know, supremacy of scripture and the Trinity, all of those things come through, but the space for human interaction is a space for listening. So you do have an opportunity, but in today's world, if we jump straight into that proclamation alone, as I, as I said, we're going to push people away. We won't go from question number one that's lodged in their heads to questions number five and six, which are lodged in their hearts, where the real transformation can happen. So it's that there's too much damage done. There's too many barriers in the way for proclamation alone. Mm. The fruit of our faith, the listening. Again, it's that demonstration, just the conversation to definitely proclamation. Hear me proclaim that we should proclaim, which will lead to revelation. Amen. It's so true. And I laugh. And I often say we don't have to worry about that because some of the criticism, and we wrote this in the book, Unlocking Your Parish, is that it's it's not Catholic as if if we're going to do anything, it has to be 100% completely in line with all of the teachings that have ever been revealed to us. And and I'm, clearly I'm exaggerating, but, but you know, I'll, I'll never forget my guy named Walter. He, he did Alpha. He was away from the church virtually forever. And he did Alpha. And he wasn't a reader. He wasn't, he's not an academic guy. Did Alpha. First book he bought after Alpha was the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And he read the entire thing. I nobody love that. Asked, nobody asked him to. I but love that. The Holy come, Spirit. Yes. You know, the Holy Spirit does the inside job. We don't need to change people's behaviors. The Spirit's got that one covered. It's true. And we have the rest of that person's life to journey with them as we're walking them in deeper into truth and discipling them, which is just such a fun way that we just do life together after that. It's so much fun. What else jumped out at you as you were reviewing the stats and going over the things that um, were jumping out from that Barna research? Yeah, I didn't share the stats for the points previously that non-Christians and this is this is US based data yep. reported the number one thing they're looking for in a Christian that they believe would cause them to be open to faith is someone who listens without judgment. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side, it reported the least helpful quality that Christians possess, which actually pushed me further away, are Christians who are great at debating topics and Christians who have the all the answers to questions about faith. Mm-hmm. So just kind of reinforcing, again, these, these applications came out of the data. Um, one final element, in which, again, it's all Jesus, is, you know, from John 17, I pray that they may be one, uh, you know, Father, as you were me and I, I'm in you, so that the world would know. And the non-Christians in the study reported they would be much more open to faith. Listen to this. Uh, one of the highest factors, if they saw churches working together more regularly. Mm. Is that not the word of Christ right there? That <laughs> we would be one so that the world would know. And then literally non-Christians in our midst are saying, I would be willing to know if you guys were one. <laughs> <laughs> and so you just think, you know, what's getting in the way of true revival? 
It's disunity. What's getting in the way of evangelistic fruitfulness in a, a county or a city or a region or a neighborhood? It's wherever there's division among God's people. Mm-hmm. And so even that is part of an evangelism strategy for the post-Christian context. I love being able to work across any denominational boundary, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopal, you name it. And do we have differences in how we interpret scripture? We do, but we can partner in gospel-centered unity. And that is important to me that we're talking about gospel-centered unity. What was that? It's Jesus as Savior. Jesus, you know, died, resurrected, perfect Son of the Father, part of the Trinity, and sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we are given eternal forgiveness and adoption through him. If we have that as the core, then let's partner together because that's the main, the main, the main, the main thing. And it doesn't mean that the other potential interpretations or convictions are without merit or don't matter. They do. And we can have sort of our tribes and all that. But when it comes to the gospel, man, let's partner together. And that's what we can be unified around. I also think we can be unified around easily in a city or county, the demonstration component of this, the do good works to show the, the goodness of our faith. And it's strategic. It's mm-hmm. not just honoring to God. It's actually strategic. People will be drawn in through Amen. that type of unity and I'm pursuing that. Amen. I, I, I remember at multiple times and I, I hear it regularly in doing Alpha in our Catholic context, you know, because people come from all different stripes and people that don't believe at all, which is great. That's Alpha run well, in my opinion. And, and it always really excites the people that are Catholic. They're like, oh my gosh, we're actually able to have conversations with people from different perspectives. And it, it excites them. And, and I just think that's wonderful, right? Because it is, it's, it's creating dialogue where we can appreciate love and respect each other, even in the midst of differences in ways that bring people home. And I, yeah. I used to love, and, you know, having other traditions or denominations come and experience alpha with us and then equip them and train them up through our training and send them back to, to mobilize them to reach the lost. It was just makes my day when we can so good. together. To reach so people. good. Love it. Love it. Well, I'll tell you, I think it's really timely, Craig, that these two books have been written as we're, you know, I, I Pause to say coming out of COVID because it's always one step yeah, it's forward, two steps again. forward, one step back. I know. It's like, oh God, protect us, please. But you know, we are looking for ways to be more effective, to grow in our understanding, to change our paradigms, to not be married to our methods. But you know, consider consider to look as these books challenge us to do. What was Jesus doing that was working so well? And yes, and and isn't it true that? Jesus's approach to everything in life, it's timeless. Mm -hmm. And yet it's also for our sake, timely at this point in in our lives and in the needs of the church. And I do think we have what the world is desperately needing. And of course that's Jesus and, and the spirit and the father, but I actually mean with what we're sharing here, the world is desperately needing a place to be heard, a place to belong 
a connection. And we can provide this even in how we share our faith. We can provide belonging. We can provide the love that listens. We can provide the hospitality of Jesus, people uh, being welcomed in. And it's going to draw them to, to Christ. And we will have the opportunity to share the direct truth, but we need to build towards it by making some of these shifts together. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, but again, taking the time to, to answer God's assignment that he gave to you to, hey, Craig, <laughs> I'm talking to you. I need you to do some work. And for your friends at Barna, like, don't they do incredible research? I love them. I, they're so helpful and so genuine and so devoted to Jesus, and they do great work. Mm, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And thank you for breaking it down from the, the data to the application. And I just pray for all of our listeners, go on Amazon, grab these books and uh, make sure you, you read them and start to really reflect on those truths with a group of other people so that together we can do something great in every church in the world. Love it. Thanks for the time together, Ron. God bless you, my friend. Bye. Man, that was fun. If you're looking for a gift idea for someone in a parish or diocese that's in any level of leadership, buy them Craig's book, How to Revive Evangelism. They will love it. If you're a pastor who will be at the Alpha Conference and you'd like to sit down for an hour with your team and experience a coaching session, it would be my pleasure to meet with you. Go to ronhuntley.com. Just reach out. I always make time for complimentary coaching when I'm on the road, and it would be great to meet with you. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate the podcast five stars. God bless you. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.